good to have all of you here today. And uh, this morning's study is, that we're going to have together is going to be something of a study, teaching a little bit and, and preaching. But, uh, you know, it's been said that uh, teaching is to inform and preaching is to move. Another way that I've said that is that uh, teaching is to educate and preaching is to, uh, for exhortation, to exhort. So this will be something of a mixture of that today. I'm uh, working through a little series that I've entitled um, Life in the Local Church. And for the past two weeks, we've looked at elders in church life. And now I want to move on to church membership. And this is something of an introduction. I hope to next week uh, be preaching from 3 John and look at or ask the question, what kind of church member am I, or what kind of church member are you? I want us to ask ourselves that question. Taking that that uh, book, which would be an g- interesting little study for us, helpful little study for us as we evaluate our own church membership. Now, going into that, I felt like I had to give an introduction uh, to the idea of church membership. So this very much is what that's uh, what the message is going to be today, an introduction to Third John. Uh, or to the idea of church membership. Uh, because I don't have a specific text that I'm preaching from this morning, we're going to be looking at a few different ones. I want to go ahead and pray, and then we will get into uh, this study time together today. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful to be assembled And thankful, Lord, that our hearts are warmed toward you because of your wonderful grace in our lives. The grace that we find in the the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, who, who died, was buried, rose again on the third day, was seen alive from the dead. Father, that that gospel that is powerful to save has reconciled us to you. Father, we have once were enemies, but now we are at peace with you through faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for that, and that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. Lord, you are the one who holds our very lives in our hands. You turn the hearts of kings the way you want them to go. Father, I know that even in our assembly here today, there may be some whose hearts are not warm toward you. Oh God, I pray that you would turn them to yourself. Like Lydia had her heart opened that she might receive the things that were preached. I pray, Lord, you would open hearts this morning to believe in the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we work through this study and your word is read and We hear it. Use it, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, church membership and introduction, a New Testament study. You probably have a handout. If you don't, there should be some in the back. One of our men will be glad to get one to you, or you can find that yourself. But the first question I'd like to ask is, we're really going to work through this with some questions. What is a church? What is a church? What is a church? And it comes from the Greek word ecclesia, 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 and that means the assembly of the called out ones. That's 
the idea of that. And if you think about what we've got here this morning, you're here because you've been called out of uh, being lost in the world and you've been called to be a child of God. So you are part of his body. You're a part of his family. Therefore, we gather together. So we are a physical manifestation of what a church is. It is a assembly of those called out ones. Now, uh, there are three signs of a church, three signs of a church. This is born out of the Reformation back uh, in the 1500s and uh, following that. But really three signs showed up that uh, where they were looking when they would evaluate an assembly of people to determine if this is a true church or not. The first thing is the faithful preaching of the Word of God where the Scripture is proclaimed. Paul told Timothy to preach the Word, be instant in season and out of season. And he commended Timothy to the Word because through that Word a man is thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the faithful proclamation, preaching of the Word of God. The second thing there's, you see, the correct practices of the ordinances. So the two ordinances that are in mind here are baptism and the Lord's Supper. So when you look at a body of people and they are practicing baptism and the Lord's Supper according to not how they think it ought to be done, but according to Scripture, then you're seeing there a church, a people who have been called out by God and who are following His Word. And then the last one that the that the Reformers... Um, listed was the right practice of church discipline where those uh, erring members or those members who are sinning in the body and who will not repent of that then that is uh, the correct that is um, where church discipline would be carried out to protect the purity of the church so I wanted to give you that um, with uh, as food for thought as we work our way through this study this morning secondly you see the question are you a church member the last question that I'm going to ask, and that we'll probably look at really, rather than what I was maybe thinking about doing this afternoon, we're going to ask the last question in our afternoon service, is church membership biblical? So the, uh, what I want to focus on for the rest of our time together this morning is, are you a church member? Because this is really the priority. Uh, when we consider our own standing before God, and even why we're here this morning. Why are you here this morning? So when we uh, look at this, the first thing I would uh, ask and looking at, again with questions is what is required to be a member of the universal church or the Catholic church, which is what Catholic means. Now, when some of you hear Catholic, you may think Roman Catholic church. That's not what I mean in this. Catholic means universal. So that word is used in relation to the universal church or it might be called the uh, spiritual church, the invisible church. I don't know if that's a good way to say it. But the idea is that everybody who is a believer, whether you are here or in um, uh, China or if you are in uh, South America somewhere, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you are a part of this universal church. So... The first question uh, here is, what is required? And I'll give you two things that I would say from Scripture is required. First one is calling. Calling. So uh, what do I mean by calling? And you, you see these two words, the general call and the effectual call, or the, 
we could also say the special call. So the general call is like we would see in Matthew twenty two fourteen, where Jesus says, Many are called, but few are chosen. And that's in the context of the wedding feast. And they are to go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. And both bad and good were brought in to the wedding feast. Jesus says at the end of that parable that many are called but few are chosen because some had rejected the call prior to the servants being sent out into the highways and into the byways. So there's that general call. How does the general call go out now? The preaching of the gospel. When um, you, you proclaim the gospel, you tell someone about Christ crucified. Buried, risen again on the third day as the only hope for lost sinners for salvation. When you proclaim that, you are putting out the general call of salvation. There are brothers who preach on the streets and there are people who walk by. And that, that general call is going out to all who walk by. Salvation through Jesus Christ. But there's another calling. It's an effectual calling. The effectual calling is when that word enters into the ear and it goes into the heart and into the mouth of a, of a person. And then all of a sudden, by the grace of God, they are able to confess, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. And they believe it in their heart. Maybe they had never done it before, but upon that time where they hear the gospel, God uses it to effectually draw them to himself by his grace. So it's the effectual call. You might take your Bibles now and turn to Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we find here what has been called the golden chain of salvation. The golden chain of salvation. Though, again, you will not see golden chain of salvation here in the scripture. It has by theologians been called that. And that's worth whatever it's worth to you. You can do what you want to with it. But in verse 29 of Romans chapter 8, the scripture says, I'll give you a moment to turn there. Romans 8, and I'll start at verse 29. It says here, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then you go to verse 30. Where it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, stopping there at verse 30. You'll see here, after the predestining that God does, these that He has predestined, as the Scripture clearly tells us, these He also called. So, as confusing and as difficult as predestination and election is for the human mind to understand, what we understand pretty clearly from this is that those whom God has predestined, He also calls them. He calls them to Himself through the gospel. And those who hear that gospel, having been effectually drawn to God by His working, they are justified before God. They receive a right standing before God. Though they are still in their sinful state, 
Yet because they have believed that gospel, they are declared righteous or right before God, though they are yet still sinners. So there's this effectual calling, and this is only one of the places. There are many that we could look at. I, I went through this on a Sunday night not too far back, too long ago, so as we were working through First uh, Thessalonians, so I won't belabor it. Very much. All right, so calling. Second part that I would say to be a member of or, or part of the universal church is conversion. This means, as I would term it here, changed by the gospel. This is the literal turning, the changing that takes place in an individual. When they have heard the gospel, they repent of their sins and turn to God. They have been converted. They have been changed by it. If you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. And then we'll go to verse um, chapter 20. But in Acts chapter 26 verse 18. This is as good of a passage as I know of to tell us what conversion looks like in the life of a sinner who is saved by the grace of God. In Acts 26, Paul here is recounting his calling by the Lord Jesus Christ and what he is to go and to do. And Jesus says to him in verse 17, again, this is Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul, who was Saul at the point of his conversion. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Now notice in verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's conversion. That's what God does when he saves a lost sinner, verse 18. Now, if you'll go back to Acts chapter 20. Guys in the sound booth, if we could turn my mic up just a touch. I need a little bit of help this morning. Acts chapter 20. Not too much, just a little bit. Acts chapter 20. When it comes to conversion, these are the two necessary elements of this. All right? Now, this is part of what we read last week, but I want us to take a look at it again. Paul says in verse 20 of Acts 20, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house. All right, so again, in verse 20, he didn't keep back anything that was helpful. He proclaimed it to you. And then in verse 21, he testified. He was testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Two things, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he would go on down and he would say in verse 27, 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, when it, you think about being a part of the Catholic Church, the universal church, this worldwide church that is the true church of Jesus Christ, all those who are in His body, verse 21 points out to us 
that there's two things necessary. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I know this is not new to you. I've told you before that this is like the opposite sides of the same coin. Without, without one, salvation is not complete. Repentance is necessary. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because all men have sinned. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God uh, requires faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we see in verse 21 that this conversion that takes place in a sinner has at its heart, at its essence, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now with all that in mind, I want to stop for just a second and say, are, uh, are you a member of the universal church? Have you heard the call? Have you repented of your sins? Have you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you repented not toward good works, not toward personal reformation, not toward being a better person, not toward trying to live like your family lives? Have you repented toward God so that your life is now a Godward bound life? And have you had faith toward God? Christ. Again, not faith toward your good works, not faith toward your family, not faith toward reading the Bible, not faith toward anything else. But have you had faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what's necessary. Does that make sense? Better yet, do you see it right here in the Bible? Because Paul clearly lays that out. All right, so calling and conversion. Now, let's go to the next, next little sub point here. What is required to be a member of the local church? What's it required to be a member of the local church? All right, so first thing here, I'll put these on a different slide for you, is community. First of all, you've got to kind of be a local, <laughs> you know. Uh, if you're going to be a part of a local church, you ought to be local. You ought to be a part of that community. All right, you think about the Corinthians. They made up the church in Corinth. Those in Ephesus, the believers there who had repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they made up the church in Ephesus. And we could go through all the churches, all the letters that are found there and see the, pretty much the same thing. Now, the next thing is conversion is necessary. There's repentance and faith, as we've already articulated, tried to. But I've added another part of this, and that is baptism. Baptism. And when I say baptism here, I mean water baptism. The reason water baptism would be added to this is because the way in which um, you're known to be a Christian is initially, have you been baptized by water? Now, it, I would liken it now, before we look at some scriptures to go along with this, to wearing a wedding ring. I have a ring on my finger. I'm not dare going to try to take that off in front of you because I'm pretty sure I couldn't get it off. I'd be wrestling with it for a while. But you see this and you say, oh, Brother Eric's married. I didn't know that. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm married. You see a wedding ring, a wedding band on someone's uh, hand. Well, they're They're married. All right. If I take that off, am I not married anymore to Sherry? Come on, I'm, I am, right? <laughs> okay, so I am still married to her, even if I take this off. All right, so baptism's a little bit like the wedding ring. 
All right? You may be converted, be a part of the local church, but really to be a member of a, uh, the universal church, but to be a part of the local church, at least this congregation, and I know many others, look at a person's, well, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized according to Scripture? Now, I can stand here before you and say it's more important than this wedding ring illustration that I gave you. And I'll show you some reasons why if you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. By the way, Sherry is here. She's in the nursery, though, I think, this morning. Matthew 28, here in the Great Commission, uh, beginning at verse 18, before Jesus ascends back up into heaven, the Scripture says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. All right, so they're to go. They're to preach the gospel. They're to make followers, learners of Jesus. So make disciples of all the nations. And then the next thing he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's something of the easy part because then in verse 20 it says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We can glean a couple things from this. First of all, the priority of baptism. Because when you go and preach the gospel and a person wants to follow Christ, the thing they ought to be told to do is not to pray a sinner's prayer or walk an aisle or sign a card. It is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And that's why we tell you um, when an invitation, when, when anytime an invitation is given, repent, believe, be obedient to Scripture in water baptism because that's simply what the Lord has said for us to do. So we can glean that from it, but we can also see in verse 20 that complete knowledge is not necessary for baptism. Because it's not until after that time that they are to be taught all things to observe all things that Jesus has commanded. Sometimes we can get the cart before the horse. We think that people have to know everything before they can become a Christian. When in fact, that's not what Jesus lays out at all here. They become a Christian, then they grow as a Christian in Christ. All right, now let's go to another passage. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Again, here talking a little bit about baptism. Romans 6. Verses 1 through 4. Might go a little further than that, but Romans chapter 6. The reason I can say to you that baptism is more significant than this wedding ring illustration that I gave to you is because of what the scripture says about baptism. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, you might say, well, is this a spiritual baptism or a water baptism here that he's talking about? And I'd say to you, both. Because when we hear baptism, we think of, the the natural reading of it is to think of being immersed in water, baptized. But we know that there is another baptism that takes place where the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, I think verse 13, baptizes us into the body of Christ. So there is a spiritual reality that takes place in conversion where we are spiritually placed in the body of Christ. But yet this physical expression of water baptism shows what has occurred in our lives. Now, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter 3, which this is a confusing passage of Scripture, there's no doubt about that. But in 1 Peter 3, Peter uses some, some language here about baptism that shows us the importance of it. That shows us the weight of it. That shows us the significance of it. These writers don't try to water this down and say, Oh, well, well here's what I mean. Or, oh, this is what I don't mean. No, they, they use these terms and they, by the inspiration of the Spirit. And we have, to, we have to read it and we have to understand it. We have to believe it. In verse 21, after talking about, the in verse 20, the divine long-suffering. 1 Peter 3, verse 20 that waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Verse 21, he says, There is also an antitype. There's something like this, which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but... The answer of a good conscience toward God. Some of your translations might say an appeal to God for a good conscience. Parenthetical statement. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Not getting your body cleansed. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. There's something within us that has changed. Conversion. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. What does this mean? In this baptism, what does it mean? If this is indeed what, how we would think of this to begin with. As we read this, and probably the readers back in that day when Peter's recipients read this. And they read, baptism saves us. What would they have concluded would they have concluded, well, it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh, so it's not just being dunked in water. Being, being dunked in water doesn't save me. That's not what he's talking about, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. So baptism is, the, is apparently water baptism. He's just talked about Noah. He's just talked about these eight souls that were saved through water. So what happens in baptism? What's going on? What does this show? What is baptism an antitype of? 
And I would suggest to you, because you might look at it, you might say, well, it's an antitype of the ark. Or you might look at it, you might say, well, it's an antitype of the water. And I would say to you, you're right on both accounts. Baptism is like exactly what we see in the floods in Noah's day. We see judgment as we go down into the water. We see the consequences of sin, which is death. But we did not have to suffer it under the wrath of God because Christ did it for us. And we are placed in that water showing that we are buried with Christ, the one who bore our sins on the cross, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So it's the judgments of God upon sin as we go down into that water. But yet at the same time, it is the ark for we come out of that water in Christ. And we are able to walk in newness of life because we are in Jesus Christ. So baptism saves us because baptism is the expression of what God has done through the gospel. So when you see a person be baptized, you're like, that person is in Christ. The wrath of God is no longer upon them, but they have everlasting life because of what Jesus did. So there are many other passages. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. As we could, and I probably shouldn't, look at all of these. But Acts 2, verse 38, which if you know our, our friends with any Church of Christ brethren, that they will, uh, many of them will often refer to Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38 says, as you turn there, after the first preaching of the first sermon in the church on the day of Pentecost. And after that preaching, the men, uh, they, they asked in verse 37, Men and brethren, what shall we do? It's because they had been cut to the heart. Their consciences were bothering them. They were cut to the heart. They realized they had sinned, that they had crucified the Son of God. Peter, in verse 38, answers that question. What shall we do? He said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 39, for the promises to you and to your children... And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So 38 and 39 aren't everything that he said. He said some more. And then in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. We concluded last week as we were, I think, uh, mentioned this at some point. The reason they knew 3,000 souls were added because there were about 3,000 souls, 3,000 bodies that were baptized. 
So they looked at that and one, two, three, four, five, six, three thousand. Three thousand souls were added to the church. Three thousand people were baptized. So what's necessary to be a member of the local church? Well, water baptism. In uh, Acts chapter 10, and there's more we could say on verse 38, but I think I've probably said it in the past, so I won't repeat myself right now. In Acts chapter 10, and I, I was greatly encouraged by, by uh, Acts 10 as I was reading through it in my Bible reading this past time, just to glean some things from it that I never have before, that I no doubt will share with you one day. But at, at this time, let's look at the end of this. You know that what happens in Acts chapter 10, don't you? The uh, Here you have the first Gentile to be saved. The first Gentile to become a Christian. Up to this time it was only Jews or those who had proselytized like the Ethiopian eunuch to the Jewish faith. Cornelius is the first Gentile to become a Christian. Now if you look at verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So everybody in the room who heard it, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. This is what happened in verse 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. So there were some Jews there with Paul who saw this happen. They were astonished. Why? As many came, as many came with Peter because, this is why, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This is significant because what this did was it kept there from being any uh, rumor, any thought that there's two different churches. There's a Jewish church and there's a Gentile church. No. The Spirit was poured out upon them and it needed to be done in an obvious um, way where it was manifested so that there would be no confusion over the unity of the church. The Jews had received the Spirit, spoke in tongues, the Gentiles received the Spirit and spoke in tongues. In verse, and they magnified God. Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered. Can anyone forbid water? That these should not be baptized? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. When they asked him, then they asked him to stay a few days. Okay? You, you see that the first thing Peter said after he saw this happen was, Can anyone forbid water? Now I need not go further to Acts chapter 8 where the Ethiopian eunuch is hearing the gospel preached, hearing Jesus preached by Philip. As Philip goes there and sees him reading from the scroll and he from Isaiah chapter 53, and then Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? And then from that passage, he preached to him Jesus. And then as they were going along the way, the eunuch says, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? So in, apparently in the preaching of Jesus to the eunuch, Philip had said something to him about believer's baptism. So, those are some things to think about. And that is an, a requirement at New Life Baptist Church. That a person be baptized as a believer 
in order to be a member of this congregation. Now, you might be saying, what about, my, what about our Presbyterian brethren? And uh, uh, other brethren that maybe believe in um, paedo-baptism, infant baptism? Well, here's the way I look at that. They view the baptism that they have uh, undergone as them fulfilling what the Bible says about baptism. So I don't hold that against them. But they could not be a member of this congregation without being immersed according to water baptism because we believe that that is what the Scripture teaches about water baptism. That actually brought a great deal of persecution upon the Baptist church way back in the early days because the Puritans even would persecute the Baptists because they believed in baptizing again. Immersion rather than infant baptism. So that brought about a great deal of persecution upon those who have gone before us. So maybe that makes sense and um, a little bit. And as you think about your conversion and or your membership in a local church, those are at least two elements there. Let me give you the last two. We'll wrap this up. Confession. Confession. Tell you what, I'm going to give you these. Confession and then uh, communion. And that's where I'm going to pick back up in our afternoon service. So um, as you uh, finish uh, filling out that portion of the handout, you know, the invitation is always open at New Life Baptist Church to respond. You might be sitting there this morning and you realize, hey, I am a sinner, I am lost in my sin, and I am going to hell when I die. That, uh, I, that's just the reality of it. I, I do not have the righteousness of Jesus to my account. I am guilty before God. What shall I do? <laughs> I would just say to you, as um, Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And I invite you, Uh, If that is your situation, if that is where you are today, to do just that. Repent toward God. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ who, who died according to our gospel and was raised again on the third day. And be saved from this perverse generation. Let's pray together. Oh Lord God, I thank you for your word. It's good to look into it. We behold wondrous things from it. You're good to us, Lord, in so many ways. Thank you for saving wretched sinners as ourselves. Father, I thank you that we're able to look this morning and see some good, just biblical truths uh, that I need to be reminded of and that we do as a church. The importance of membership in the church and what it takes to get us there. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word to cause us to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Save the lost, Lord, please, today, we pray. Open hearts, in Jesus' name, amen.